Welcome to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, which aims to advance gospel-centered youth ministry by equipping and empowering youth ministers and parents to faithfully disciple students towards lifelong faith in Jesus Christ. The Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast is part of the Rooted Family of Podcasts, which also includes the Rooted Parent Podcast, Ask Alice, and Thanos to Theos. To learn more about Rooted, visit us at rootedministry.com. I'm podcast producer for Rooted, Davis Lacey, and normally I host the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, but today I'm excited to introduce the chairman of Rooted, Cameron Cole, for a special interview he conducted with Ethan Wormel. Ethan is a youth pastor in Southern California, and this conversation between him and our chairman here at Rooted will serve as a great practical case study for how youth ministry workers can implement gospel-centered youth ministry strategies in a meaningful way. Please enjoy this special episode of the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. Well, welcome to the Rooted Podcast. And uh, today we're going to have a special conversation with a Rooted Youth Pastor from Southern California, Ethan Warmel. Warmel, like water is warm. That's right. And then, you know, Warmel, like as if it were Hormel Foods, but Warmel. Right. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, a lot of we rooted, we talk a lot about, you know, having grace filled, gospel centered, Bible saturated ministries uh, to where that's the kind of discipleship that kids are receiving. And sometimes, though, when we talk about having these theologically rich and these biblically driven ministries where the gospel is at the center, it can, it can feel a little bit abstract to the average youth pastor. And so, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk to Ethan about the story of his term in a church, which I believe is about four years long, and and just basically how, from beginning to end, the story of how he established a really theologically deep, biblically rich, uh, gospel-centered ministry in his local church. And so the point of this, too, is so that you can listen to this and maybe you can you can find some, you know, practical ways that you can have a ministry like this and you can get a sense of what implementation looks like in a practical level. So first, Ethan, thank you for, for coming on the podcast here from, we're from Indian, uh, the, the Gospel Coalition Conference in Indianapolis. Yeah, thanks, Cameron. It's a pleasure to meet you and happy to be here. Yeah, well, tell us, tell us first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from. Tell us about your new baby. Yeah, well, I'm originally from Massachusetts, born and raised there. I joined the Marine Corps, so that was my ticket out of Massachusetts. Served five and a half years active duty. Loved it. It was a blast. Um, After I got out of the Marine Corps, I got married, and we moved to Southern California because I just wanted to stay away, if I could, from where I grew up. Not because I didn't like it, but because I had explored the world, and I just wanted to keep exploring. So we got married, and I got a job part-time as a youth pastor for a small church, which is an average church of just under 200 people in San Diego. That's where we got planted. My wife then got a full-time job. And just two months ago, we had our first baby. So that was almost five years ago wow. at this point. And then you uh, started seminary uh, in Escondido. Can you tell us about that? Correct, yeah. So after a year of student ministry, I then added on top of that full-time seminary um, because I was able to commute to both my church and the seminary. And I go, go to Westminster Seminary, California, Right, with, our friend, with our friend Michael Horton. Oh, yeah. And I'll be graduating uh, this month with an, with an MDiv. So it was just a wonderful tension to have student ministry and seminary together in my life, uh, bringing down to the ground 
uh, to junior hires, um, all the things that I was growing up into at seminary. Yeah, let me say, I'm not a grass is greener kind of person, but I can tell you from firsthand experience that the grass is greener after oh, seminary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I also, too, as a person, I've worked full-time while doing my MDev, and, yeah, doing those two together, is it's a really rich rich thing um, educationally and, and from a ministry standpoint. So first off, you kind of got pointed in this direction of having a gospel-centered youth ministry um, kind of at the beginning of your term with Rooted. And I'd kind of be interested to hear a little bit about what were some of the, the, the concepts or convictions that you carried into the foundation of your youth ministry. Yeah, I was very fortunate early on to get plugged into Rooted Ministries. And it was a podcast just like this, where you explained for maybe 40 minutes or 30 minutes what a gospel-centered student ministry looks like and where that is coming from your own passion. And I was just gripped by that. When I went to seminary at Westminster, California, they put fuel to that gospel-centered love because that is just in their blood. And so I was getting hit at both angles, and I wanted to bring that back to um, student ministry. One of the things you had said in that podcast that I listened to was creating a gospel catechism, a catechism that just breaks down the gospel in simple questions and answers. Well, coincidentally, Westminster Seminary, being a Reformed and Presbyterian school, has been inundated with catechisms. That that's just second nature to them. Right. And as a you know Baptist non-denom, yeah, you know like here. average evangelical guy, to me that was all new. Yeah. And so I was just loving getting into this world and bringing it back to my small non-denom church in California. Uh, that's really cool. So would you mind telling us some of the the components and content of that gospel catechism yeah. that you developed? And then, too, you know, just how you kind of implemented it and used it. Great. Yeah. At first, it started out with just five questions. Very easy. Um, it later got expanded to 13 questions. But I still kept those five questions around for my junior hires. I wanted them to have those five. And then I wanted by the time they got to high school to be able to have the full 13 questions. I built that in a way each question continued to grow. So that, so that you could just give all the answers together without the questions, and you would have shared the gospel with somebody all the way through. Wow. So not only did I want my students to know the gospel, but I wanted them to be able to share the gospel. So whether they knew it or not, we were doing both at the same time. Wow, that's, that, I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. When I first wrote it, I taught it, the whole catechism all the way through probably for a few weeks. But then after that, and then we would move on to other lesson series, I would always introduce our time together with one or two questions. The next week, I would review the question we did the week prior and then introduce the next one. So it was just just a memory technique. Totally, yeah. Uh, Every week to week, and whenever we got to the end, we, we just started over and kept going. And I had less and less I was giving them and requiring them more and more to produce yeah. uh, and calling on students. But it was very important early on to not just give them the grammar, not just tell them what the answers were and just say, okay, good, you memorized it, now let's move on. But to ask them, why, why did, what is that word there for? Uh, why, did, why is it put this way and that way? And I was explaining the richness of this phrasing because one of the issues with catechisms uh, and, and confessions in general is you have to be very selective in the words you choose. Oh, yeah. 
And so when you got to ring out those details, it helped me explain so they could understand what they were even confessing, what they're even learning themselves. And again, not only is that for their own enrichment, but for them to be able to share the gospel with their uh. friends. Uh, the very first question is, what is the central message of the Bible and the Christian faith? Okay. What is the central message of the Bible and the Christian faith? And the answer is the gospel. Very easy. But you can see how if they're hanging out with their friends after school and they say, oh, I got to go to youth group. Oh, you go to church? What's that all about? I taught them to understand that that's the question that their friend was just asking them. Wow. Yeah. And I got to role play with them as I'm training them so they can understand, oh, they're asking me the first question of the catechism we've been working on. And so they know the gospel, you know, like this is what this is all about. It's yeah. about the gospel. And so what, what is their friend going to ask after that? Well, what's the gospel? And that's the second question of the catechism. What does the word gospel mean? And the answer is good news. So third question, what is the good news? And then you keep unraveling this. Yeah, and so in a sense, it's almost as if you have patterned the catechism after a conversation that a student might have with an unbeliever. So not only is this, I mean, that this this kind of catechism you developed in in one sense is for their own discipleship, but it's also an apologetic for them, and it's also uh, an evangelism tool. Yes, absolutely. And who knows, there may be times later in their own life where they start to doubt or they have questions and they might ask themselves that, that first question. What's this really all about? Yeah. What, what, what's the central message at the end of the day? And hopefully they'll come back to the gospel. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that another thing as well in that is that you're giving them uh, a hermeneutic or, or sorry, an interpretive tool through which they can read the Bible. Exactly. Understand like, okay, I'm reading the Bible and the overarching message here is that of like human sin and failure and divine redemption and grace. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what it, that's that's super. Yeah, one of the questions in the catechism, and this might be in the extended version, is defending that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. That's the question. Why is the gospel the, that central message? And the answer is because the gospel was the mission of the main character, Jesus. And so it it's it's re I'm really trying to set the trajectory as firmly as I can you know, for just a lifetime of growing in the gospel as they even read the Bible and grow in Bible study. That's awesome. That's so good. Do you want to be better equipped to serve the church? At Reformed Theological Seminary, you'll be mentored by faculty committed to the inerrant word of God, Reformed theology, and the growth of their students. Degree programs in biblical studies, theology, Pastoral ministry and counseling are offered in residential, hybrid, and online formats, making theological education more accessible than ever. Cultivate a mind for truth, a heart for God, and a life for ministry. Learn more at rts.edu. rts.edu. All right, so now a second thing, you know, in talking to you, Ethan, about your ministry and your mindset is it seemed like in everything you were doing, you, had, you were thinking with the end in mind. You were thinking with a strategy of, I have a, I have a student who's going to go out into the world. They're going to go to school, and they're also one day going to leave my ministry. And so you were always thinking strategically. Um, and so tell us a little bit about that, that aspect of your mindset 
as you as you led and formed your ministry? Yeah, I'm not sure where that came from, but I do remember early on in life just always having that, you know, 30,000 foot view of my life and what I wanted to look back and, and see whether, and I would break that down to even in the Marine Corps, what do I want my Marine Corps career to look like? Or what do I want this first contract to look like? And what kind of person do I want to become during this time? And therefore, what kind of steps do I need to be taking? What kind of habits do I need to form to build that? And so I naturally just applied that to student ministry when I started. I didn't know how long I was going to be there. It turned out to be four years, which was a great a great chapter in, in my life. Yeah. But I thought, what do I want for them, for the students? And asking myself, where do I, where am I okay with failing? And But what do I want to make sure I don't fail at? If there's one thing I don't fail at, what, what would that one thing be? Wow. And that would certainly be just them understanding the gospel, understanding how to... Ex- explain it because if they can explain it they can tell themselves the gospel Um, and more importantly what the gospel means I could care less if they forget the questions and answers that as I wrote them if they can still articulate what the gospel is in their own words all all the better so I wanted them to understand what the gospel um, meant and so that's why the catechism was something that was helpful early on in student ministry that I just drilled home by explaining through a whole lesson series itself but then keeping along in the beginning of each youth gathering. Outside of that, I also wanted them to know what they believed and why they believed that. And what I mean is what they actually believe. Not what I would like them to believe, what the church says they ought to believe. I was curious to know what they actually believed. And then I wanted to ask them questions to see if they could articulate why they believed that thing. And so... That brought me to worldview and apologetic studies. I was very fortunate in my student ministry early on where our, the, the pastors of our church gave my wife and I two weeks off from student ministry to go to Summit Ministries in oh, yeah. um, Colorado Springs. Right. And for us to go through their two-week worldview and apologetics training program, huh. we were able to bring that back. And I was able to teach Introduction to Islam introduction to new age spirituality, introduction to postmodernism, introduction to secularism, atheism. And I was teaching those things as if they were true and trying to make those things as compelling as I could because my students believed bits and pieces of each one of those worldview and religions. So I wanted them to realize I don't necessarily believe everything that the church is expecting me to. And let me work out why and what I do believe. Because if you think, oh, students fall away in college. No, they come out in college. They were probably already atheistic or or Buddhist, a little Buddhist, you know, right there in church the whole time. But they're not going to come out in that kind of community. But they're going to do that when they're around friends who are all these different types of things. Yeah, that is really insightful. Now, I, now I don't think you should assume that necessarily, but you shouldn't be shocked by that. And you should be prepared with an answer methodologically with how you're approaching student ministry. I had a meeting with the parents and I was just very honest with them. And I said, I, I said this very thing. And so I said, this is because I needed to them to buy why I wanted to teach worldview and apologetics. That's so good. I said, let me just, sh- I, want, I, want to see- I want to be the, the best atheist that they've ever met, that they will ever meet in their life. 
so that if they go to college and they have a friend who's who's fallen away from the church and is antagonistic and atheistic, for them to hear their arguments and be like, oh, dude, my, my youth pastor is a way better atheist than you. You know, or if they come into some new spiritualistic person, a Buddhist or Hindu uh, person in college, they, oh, my youth pastor was a way better Buddhist than you. Like, they had, he was way more compelling. Like, they, we've gone through this stuff before. Like, he's really shaken this out of us already. I said, that's what I want to do, parents. I want to shake out the atheist or the Buddhist or whatever out of your kid now while they're with us so that they're not doing that when they're away from us and we're not around them. Yeah, I think one of the key things, like a, a takeaway in listening to this, is to hear the way that Ethan is thinking about what uh, his students are going to encounter in the real world and preparing kids for that. Because I think a lot of time, one of the big failures historically in youth ministry has been that people really just kind of have a very short-sighted here and now mentality. Uh, how many kids can I get to this event on Saturday? Exactly. And then on the other side of that, and, and sometimes this is a parent side of it, it's just a matter of wanting to uh, modify behavior, wanting yep. to uh, wanting to basically keep kids from making bad choices. Like oh, they're getting their licenses, they are getting more freedoms, they're getting you know more independence, and so there's the chance that they could get somebody pregnant or that they could get into drugs or they could, you know, get, get into alcohol. And so we just really need to like try to keep them safe right now. And you, first off, you can't do that. that. Like it's not, you cannot successfully eradicate the sin of a kid. Like, a, you know, we are born sinners. We want to sin. And while we teach God's law, um, you know, you're, you're just not going to be able to scare them out of sin. Uh, and, but and so the, uh, the, the long-term problem with that is there's been so much behavior management while they're teenagers or so much focus, like you said, on just getting them in the door, um, which I found f- through my own flesh is really largely about the ego of the youth pastor a lot of times and the need to feel justified um, or justify ourselves through performance. Um, but what, what is so valuable in what you're saying and that, that I would really encourage, you know, other youth pastors to have in mind is mature faith, like sustainable faith that lasts when they get out into the real world, like doing the things. So now another thing, you know, that I heard you say in our conversation is that you didn't try to teach them everything. You didn't try to answer every single argument, but you had in mind a few big picture worldview questions that you wanted to answer. Would you mind talking about what those big questions were that you wanted to make sure that they had an answer to? We've already, in addition to the gospel, we know we, we, you, we talked about that quite a bit earlier about the gospel catechism. You wanted them to know that. But what were some other questions that you wanted to answer? And by the way, the gospel catechism is so central because you need something to compare uh, it, it's one thing to say, oh, this is my phone. But then if I hold up your phone, now we have some perspective on what we're looking at. So if so, I can't teach them another worldview or world religion if they don't know the gospel in the oh, Christian faith. That's like the standard to compare it to. Yeah, just yeah. just give me something. And then also, I I mean, I'm, I'm a student at Westminster. Dr. Horton's always, he, here's three things. If you got two things, that's good. Three things is better. So if they knew another worldview or world religion, and then we were looking at one, but we were comparing the spectrum. Yeah. Um, that, that, that was the best case scenario. So again, I didn't want to teach them everything. I knew I couldn't. 
why would why would you want to do that anyways? They need to learn how to think for themselves. Yeah, they need right. to learn how to solve problems. They need a conceptual so, framework. So I was just giving them basic problems that they could run through so that when so that they know how to run through new problems that'll come up later on rather than having to call me and say, "Hey, you solved all our problems for us. Can you keep doing that for me?" Yeah, it's right. like, "No, I can't." No, they they are problem solvers themselves. People are going to be going to my students asking them, "Can you help me solve these problems?" because I did not wait for them to grow up. Sixth graders were doing this stuff with me. Um, so anyways, back to your actual question, yeah. though, how I think it's so important to even set that up. But, um, and so how I would do that, how I would help them be problem solvers by teaching them really big picture stuff was to present a worldview or world religion, teach it as if it were true, be as responsible and compelling as I could, but bring the main tenets of that religion or worldview to the front and there's three really easy ways to do that or sorry there's one way to do that with three big picture questions the first question is what is the goal of life what is the purpose and meaning of life well yeah according to this worldview religion what do they think the the ideal is now as a christian we see the garden of eden flowering into what will become the new heavens and the new earth okay or you can talk about the human condition. You have Adam and Eve, but they still have the possibility to have glorified bodies as well, which we will re receive in the resurrection. So you can look at it from a couple different ways, but let's just take um, Buddhism, for example. What If you were to talk to a Buddhist and say, what is the goal for, for life in all existence? What is the purpose and meaning of life? What is the goal we should be working towards? And they'll explain that and describe that. If everything was the way it ought to be, what would that look like? You can ask that about Islam, Buddhism, um, Hinduism, postmodernism, uh, atheism, whatever, Marxism. And then you say, okay, well, things aren't that way. So what is the problem? What is the yeah. problem? Why aren't we there? What has kept us back from that? And so the Christian can talk about sin, how not only has um, corrupted the cosmos, which the you know Romans eight, the the world itself is groaning for its own renewal. Let alone it has brought guilt upon human beings. We have guilt and corruption that we're dealing with. We need new bodies, but we need um, to be reconciled with our God. So we have sin, which has fractured everything. Um, a Buddhist will say, well, this is our problem. Or, or an atheist will say, well, this is really the problem. Or a Muslim will say, well, this is really, you know, uh, we, we have disobeyed Allah. So then you can ask that third question, which stands in the middle of the problem and the goal, and that is the solution. In Christianese, that's the gospel. Yeah. So whatever their solution is, that's their gospel. And if I could teach those three things about every worldview or world religion that I was presenting to them, that would help give them the framework to start solving problems and, and fill in evangelistic gaps in their own minds with what they thought the problem with the world was or with what their friends um, had in mind that they were interacting with. So those were some of the main questions that I wanted to make sure I filled out. But again, I wasn't giving them the answers. I would present the question and see if they could fill in the blanks. I would say, hey, this is what they believe the goal is. Yes. Looking at life today, what do you think would be a problem that is keeping us from that according to their worldview? 
I would say, you put on your atheist hat right now and let's uh, see if you can work with me. And so we would just be talking as atheists together or as Buddhists together. Uh, you know, after I would teach the tenets of the worldview, based on these things that they believe, what do you think they think is the goal? Or what do you think they think is the problem? And what do you think they think is the solution? Now, of course, I had those answers, but I wanted them to think about it first, to sympathize with this other person and to actually help them see how reasonable those answers were in that worldview. And that helps them become more thoughtful people in conversation with someone who's not a Christian as well, um, because they're sympathizing with a human being and they're understanding, yeah, I've actually thought about that too, and that makes sense. Yeah, I, this is just so well done. I, I think you know, something I just reinforced there is, one, you know, giving them a conceptual framework uh, that through which they can filter the things that they encounter in life, that these kids, when they go out into the world, you know, they can always come back to this question of, okay, like, what is, what is, what is my, the purpose of life? What is my purpose in life? What is the problem in the world? What is the problem in me? And then what is the solution? And, and just coming back to those basics that are reinforced over and over again, it's, it's um, it, you know, this, everyone prepared to vomit. But, you know, Nick Saban was asked why he, why he still runs yeah. the pro-style offense. And pro-style offense is really hard to implement. And it's, a, it's a kind of a little bit old school, it's, it, but it's a conceptually based offense. And he said, well, I run it because it has an answer to every defense. No matter what the defense does, because of the conceptual nature of a pro-style offense, you can, you can always respond to whatever a defense does. And so that's why, you know, helping kids have this conceptual framework um, and these, these central questions, these fundamental questions that they think about worldview through, uh, it prepares them for the challenge to their faith. To land the plane here, Ethan, you, this has been great, and I appreciate your time. But I think what I would want listeners and youth pastors to hear is that, you know, first off, Ethan took something that can be abstract with, you know, in terms of theologically driven and biblically rich gospel-centered ministry. And it, it became something practical. It wasn't just something we talk about. It's something they actually did. The second thing is the beginning with the end in mind, thinking about what are we trying to do? We're trying to instill mature, sustainable faith in kids that where they'll be able to continue to trust and cling to Christ as they walk through life and grow in Christ and to be a servant in this world. This wasn't just about you know, protecting them from the big bad world, but it was, you were employing them and equipping them, um, to, you know, lead people into reconciliation with Christ. And, and then finally, a last thing I would say too, is you didn't try to do a hundred things. You identified, okay, I want them to know the gospel. I'm going to reinforce that. And I want them to have these three questions and, you know, and certainly there's depth below those three questions, but, um, that you got clear on the key things that you were going to teach. And that's just, this is just a really good anecdotal representation of, of really good leadership as a youth pastor. Um, and also too, like very faithful ministry. Faithful ministry is about um, helping people mature in their relationship with Christ. So anyhow, I just commend you, uh, commend you for your faithfulness at your church in uh, the San Diego area. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast, and I hope that other people can just be encouraged as they're in the thick of ministry. Awesome. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening to The Rooted Podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. If you found this podcast helpful or encouraging, we'd appreciate your help in bringing this grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated content to others who might also benefit. Help us serve others by sharing this resource on social media, by leaving five-star feedback, or simply by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit www.rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for the music on this podcast. Music